Well, good morning. Happy Monday morning to each and every one of you. Um, the semester is going to end really soon. I don't know if you know that. Um, <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't have a good time last night enjoying all the, the fun that was going on, and I, I forgot about it until Joel just announced that, and I regret not being here. But I, uh, I decided to spend the weekend subjecting myself to suffering, sleeplessness, thorns, pain, uh, and being called a slave driver by a friend of mine. I might tell you more about that later. Uh, I was doing a, a race in which I didn't sleep Friday night, but I stayed up all night racing through the evening. Well, praise the Lord. Some of you sat and enjoyed a nice performance. Others of us went through suffering. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to get into God's Word with you this morning. Will you just pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can gather together, we can open your word, or we need your help to believe what we read, uh, to, to understand it, and to believe it, and to live it, and you provided all that we need by giving us your spirit, and before that, Christ coming and going to Calvary on our behalf, being buried after you died on the cross, after you yielded up your spirit, and then rising again, and then you ascended, and you're at the Father's right hand now. The Spirit was sent on, at uh, the day of Pentecost. Lord, open our eyes to what your word says. Help us to see, uh, Lord, areas that we ourselves uh, maybe disbelieve what your word says, that we might walk in faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'd like to just to reread it. I find it's helpful to read it a few times. Um, so let's read it again. It is a short passage, so that's helpful uh, for time. Verse 12, Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Uh, I was talking with a, a couple of guys the other day at lunch, and I said, okay, not doing what you're trained to do in all your interpretation classes, uh, I see you smiling there, um, but like misreading the text, how would you read this passage? Uh, what would you highlight if you were uh, burdened by the guilt of your sin, and you were ashamed of your life and what you have done, and you, you're feeling like, I need to do something. I need to do something to make things right with God because I've been doing something that has been wrong and too frequently. And this is what we came with. We're going to discount um, most of the passage. Here's what we will highlight. Look at verse 13 and part A. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Okay, I've been living according to the flesh. So what, 
what's going to happen to me? I'm going to die. So, like, what do I need to do so that I won't die? I won't live according to the flesh. To the flesh. The end of verse 13 says, put to death the deeds of the body. Put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. Okay. I need to stop sinning. I need to kill the sin in my, in my flesh. I just need to put it to death. I need to just work harder, try harder. Don't sin. Stop sinning. Well, is there anything else? Oh, okay, I'm looking. Yes, that's nice. Okay, uh, what do I also need? Verse 17 says this. It says, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. That's it. One brother said, penance. Um, I need to suffer. What's the solution to my problem of sin? Suffering. So if I can inflict some suffering on myself, if I can do something, maybe I physically harm my body, maybe I fast, maybe I... I cut myself, I speak uh, harsh words to myself, uh, verbally abuse myself, physically abuse myself in some way. Like That will be enough to help me in my sin problem. That won't be the solution. That's not what the Bible has to say. But that's what many of us believe when we're weighed down and we're burdened by our sins. We think we deliver We think we have to do something to solve the problem. God wants us to know that He's done everything. We can do nothing. What we must do is trust Him and rely on His provision. Do you hear that, brother and sister? You can't do anything to defeat sin in your life outside of the provision of God. You can't muster up something to become more holy. You can't work harder to become more holy. Romans has been teaching us that. It's, been, it's becoming clearer and clearer and there's no exception with this passage today. But what we do tells us and it tells God and it tells everyone around that we believe we have to do something to win the battle over sin in this life. I think that also we also believe that we have to win the battle over sin for our justification. That's false. Christ has won the battle. Now we are freely forgiven. Now we are saved in Christ by our faith in Him and His work. The Christian life is no no different. It's the same. We live a life of faith. We follow and we trust God and His provision. So let's read this passage. Let's think about it as we go through. Verse 12 we are no longer, so then brothers, we are debtors not to live, not to the flesh, excuse me, to live according to the flesh. Um, I think I find this CSB a little helpful here, looking at that translation. It says this in verse 12, so then brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. <clears throat> Paul's not making an exhortation here. He's making a statement. He's telling us what is true. And one of the passages that came to mind as I'm reading this, um, and in particular, I think with the CSB, I thought of 1 Peter 4 and verse 3. It says this, For the time that is past suffices for doing the, what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and, uh, and lawless idolatries. The... The past, your past, that's enough. 
You don't owe sin anything. Don't live according to sin any longer. You have no obligation whatsoever to sin. What's our obligation now? It's righteousness. It's the life that by the Spirit we can live according to God's standard, according to what God desires. Not in and of ourselves, but by God's provision. A few verses from Romans 6, starting in verse 1, says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Down into verse 4, it says, In order that, and at the very end, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Then down to verse, into verse 11, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You don't owe the flesh anything. The desires of the flesh that still linger. I mean, we talked about that, right? Um, that was brought up as we we're going through the end of Romans 7. Like, there's that reality in our lives. We still sin. I hate it. You hate it. I'm 37. Um, the, the older I get, the more I realize, oh, it's not going away. Dang. I wish, I wish it would disappear. God, why have you done this? Like, I got saved. I had no struggle with sin, right? Uh, then I got saved, and it's like this epic struggle, this epic battle with sin. And I, I just want the victory. I want sin's presence to be eradicated. But we find there's a struggle because we want to follow after God. And this is the state that we are in. We wrestle with the flesh. We want to obey God. We want to live according to His his, his word. We want to follow after Him. We want to be faithful. We want to never break faith with the Lord and trust that sin uh, will give us what we want. But trust God and what He wants. It will always be good. But there's this battle that's there, right? It hasn't disappeared. But God has given us everything that we need. Everything that we need for life and for godliness. We have the Word of God And we have the Spirit. Go down and look at verse 13 with me. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Pursuing works of the flesh? Sin? What's the end result of that? Death? And you could say to varying degrees. Like if if I sin, there are consequences which are in line with death, not with life. Not with the life that God has created, but with the life of death that Adam and Eve brought about for all humanity. Right? But someone who's given over and pursues that life, that's a person who is following death. That's a person that looks like doesn't know the Lord. Well, that's not the case for Christians. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit. Paul writes three times, verse 13, verse 14, verse 15. He tells us three different things that we see by the Spirit. And that's the the title for this message today is by the Spirit. So we're no longer under obligation to live according to the flesh. For when 
the flesh says, obey my lusts, obey my impulses, give in to sin. It's not our master anymore. We can say no, right? <clears throat> that, that can be gone and done away with. And we can live differently. We can live by the Spirit. And what do we do in the Spirit? We put to death the deeds of the flesh. Let's highlight what I, how I misread it earlier. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. If we don't read that in context and we read it through the lens of my sin, my guilt, my shame, the weight of that, and I have to do something by myself to make it right, we remove the Spirit. And it's all on you. It's all on me. But God has given us His Spirit. It's by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. And that's how we live. Doc Fish said this in his message a few weeks ago, if sin remains and exerts its power in spite of the fact that we have it, and in spite of all our efforts to overcome it, then deliverance must come from somewhere outside ourselves. Deliverance is in Christ. He also said, Paul's going to spend part of chapter 8 to develop the idea that Christ sent the Holy Spirit to give us power to have victory over indwelling sin. And finally, the more we learn to trust Him, the more we will overcome sin. The Spirit reminds us of everything written in God's Word. He reminds us of what Jesus said. He reminds us of what is true. And He's the Holy Spirit. He leads us not to sin, but to holiness. To become more and more like God. Right? So when we face sin, we face temptations, when we feel the, the urges of the flesh, we're guided by the Spirit to put to death those urges, to tame them, to say, you're not my master, I have a new master, and that's Jesus. And you know it. And if you don't know it, let's remember, or let me tell you about it, or if you forgot, let me remind you. We, when we choose sin, we're saying what God says and what God offers is actually not what's best. We prefer this sin over this, God and what He says. Right? Remember Adam and Eve, and Eve grabs the fruit. Um, it's not an apple. Um, I don't know what it is, right? I've been eating apples lately. I look at that apple and I smell the apple. They're fresh off the tree, and I think, surely it can't be an apple. Um, I really don't know. Uh, but apples are very delightful, especially when they're not a year old, um, you know, after they've been picked and coated and sitting in a freezer or, or fridge for a year, and then you eat them when they're fresh off the tree. They're so good. Okay, let me, I'm coming back now. Um, <clears throat> so she takes the fruit, right, right? And what does she do? What does Eve do? She hears what the serpent says, and she's heard what God says, and she decides the serpent's way is better. That actually, disobeying God will bring something greater, a deeper knowledge, wisdom that's not there and attaining this level of becoming godlike or becoming God, right? And then she eats. And what happens? What falls? Uh, what follows? Everything that that lie, those lies promised? No. It was a deception. She didn't get what she thought she would get. Adam didn't get what he thought he would get. They got what God promised. Death. Death. Right? You see, the way of sin is the way of death. But the way of the Spirit, as we are led by Him, is the way of life. 
in all of those who know the Lord, have the Spirit dwelling within them. What we have to do by the power of the Spirit is to learn to say, that's a lie. God's Word tells me that's wrong. This is actually what's better. And there's joy and there's life here. Not without difficulty, brother or sister. Not without difficulty. Not without difficulty. So we are to put the death, the deeds of the flesh, deeds of the body, and we will live. And we do that by believing, and I think you can think of the shield of faith here. We believe God's word against the lie. But then we also proclaim the truth of God's word, right? The sword of the spirit. And we see Jesus utilize this in the garden. What does he do when Satan tempts him? When Satan says something, he quotes God's word. Jesus perfectly believed God's word and lived it out to every degree. He's our great example on how to do this, how to live by the flesh and put by the excuse me, by the spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh. He's not just our example. He's also the one that has enabled this. Because he died for us and then he rose again. He paid for our sins, was buried and rose. We died with him and are risen with him. Right? As we read earlier, going through Romans 6 through up, up to this point now. <clears throat> we are with him. He is the example, but he's also the one who enables and he sent the spirit and now we have the spirit within us to put to death the deeds of the flesh, deeds of the body. <clears throat> Verse 14 says this, says, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. How will the Spirit lead us? He will lead us into uh, Christ-likeness, into holiness. He will lead us to follow God's will in each and every way. If you take just a cursory reading of the book of Acts, you see the Spirit again and again and again leading believers and leading the New Testament church at the inception, and He does so today. If you are led by the Spirit of God, all who are led by the Spirit of God, excuse me, are sons of God. In verse 15, 15 and 16, um, focus on the confirmation that believers are children of God. Verse 15 says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Note here what the Spirit does. The Spirit, excuse me, not not what the Spirit does. Note this, this difference here in verse 15. You're not falling back to slavery. We didn't receive a spirit of slavery, excuse me, to fall back into fear. Think about that. Sin and that life that we lived, that's not the spirit that... Uh, The spirit of fear is not the spirit that we have received. When we were dead in our sins, when we were lost, what were we terrified of? Death, weren't we? What were we consumed with doing at all times? Sin. Disobedience to God. Was He our Father? He is our Creator. Did we have a relationship with Him? No. There is this dread that's there because there's this judgment that awaited us before we came to Christ. But now we're in Christ. And now we've received the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? He brings us hope. It says we've received 
the spirit of adoption. Just look down. Uh, this, the, the following verses will be touched on, uh, I believe, next week. And verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And as you look at that verse, verse 23, it seems like this, the fulfillment of adoption is connected to the redemption of our bodies. We have this spirit. We call God our Father. We call Him Daddy. The spirit resonates in our spirit as we look down at verse 16. And what are we longing for and looking for is that one day this body, this body will be redeemed. It'll be changed. It'll be new. I won't have the struggle with sin anymore, right? And that's like the fulfillment of our adoption. When we realize whose we are, we belong to our Father. We are in His family. So we have this future hope. There's something that we're waiting for. Praise God, right? Amidst the struggle right now with sin, I'm waiting for the day where there will be no sin. Where I will realize the fullness of my adoption. Right now, I call God my Father. And the Spirit is the one by whom we call Him. Abba and Father. If you're God's child, if you're a believer, you have an intimate relationship with God. You call Him Daddy. Or Dr. McLeod emphasized this. Um, I can't recall when. Maybe when I was, a, I think, believe it when I was a student at Emmaus, talking about Abba. And um, I think, as a grown man, I don't think uh, it appropriate to uh, be kind of come childlike, right? It's like, okay, I put those things away, right? Paul says, "I'm a man. I behave manly." But let's think with some perspective. I'm a, I'm a mere child. And the God, the creator of all, is infinite and all-powerful, eternal. And I've been around for 37 years, right? When I am at my weakest in my life with sin or with the struggles of life, I cry out to him. Maybe I don't say, Abba, Father. Maybe I do. But I cry out to him as if he's my daddy. As if I'm a little child and I'm in desperate need of him. This is a reality for all of us, for all Christians, right? Whether you're actively saying, Daddy, and embracing this reality, and knowing and loving that He is your Heavenly Father, or you're struggling with that, you are His child. He's your Daddy. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Spirit has given, He gives you the ability to put to death the deeds of the flesh? Or do you believe that your flesh is greater than Him? Do you believe that you are God's child? That you've been adopted? And that you have the right to call Him Daddy? That you, are, you have this intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father? He's not just Lord. Reflect on your own life. Do you call Him Lord, 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 and never call Him Father? Maybe there's something wrong there. Do you call Him Father? but never embrace the reality that you're his child. Maybe there's some distance there. Maybe a more intimate term, father, you need to learn to embrace. 
Look at verse 16 with me. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There's the reality. If you're a believer in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've trusted in Him, you are a child of God. And it's not just you. There's this community. We. We are children of God. We embrace this together. And here are two witnesses. There's our spirit, and there's the Holy Spirit telling us what is true. This reality, we are children of God. Go with me to verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. One commentator says, Paul is not correcting the first description, heirs of God and heirs um, fellow heirs with Christ, but, fulfilling, but filling it out by reminding us that Christians inherit the blessings of God's kingdom only through and in Christ. I've been doing a Bible study going through Ephesians, and you start reading the first chapter or second chapter, and you get into Ephesians, and it becomes abundantly clear. We have this enormous inheritance that God has given us through Jesus. He did all the work and we can reap all the benefit. Embrace that. Believe that. It starts off by telling us we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It doesn't start off saying the work that Reagan Benassi has done and leads to. It tells us about the work that Christ has done and how we are in Christ. We have His inheritance. But there's the other side to this provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Now the commentator says this, we must follow Christ's own road to glory. For the glory of the kingdom of God is attained only through the participation in Christ. And belonging to Christ cannot but bring our participation in the sufferings of Christ. A sport that I've embraced the last uh, few years and what I was participating this weekend is, is touted as the sport with the most suffering and the most reward. There's no sport that gives you more suffering and no sport that you will receive more reward from. It's called adventure racing. To the nth degree, people will go up to 10 days racing nonstop on very little sleep. The best teams in the world will sleep eight hours in 10 days and race through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometers or miles through rugged terrain, facing adversity with each other, and they get to the end, and they're shredded, and they look dead, but they're addicted. I'm addicted. Why? Because you persevere through the suffering. At the end, you taste the glories of the victory pushing yourself to that degree. Now, there are, uh, for the racers, there are levels, varying levels of reward. Some win first place. Sometimes, if you're in a good race, you'll win cash. You'll win money, a money prize. Other times, maybe a gift card or something, right? But then we revel together in, in the, uh, the tales of what, it has, what has happened, what transpired over the race. And it's just, it's glorious. Well, this is just a little race. But I think it's telling about the Christian life. People say uh, the Christian life's not a, 
not a sprint, it's a marathon. A marathon pales in comparison to expedition adventure races when you race for 10 days. I haven't done that, to be clear, okay? Um, look at this last part. We need to pay attention. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. To not embrace suffering means that we'd rather have something other than Jesus. Jesus isn't worthy. Jesus isn't worthy. Is Jesus worthy for you? Will you embrace suffering in this life for Jesus? The Christian life is not, not all roses. Uh, it's not peachy. You've got the thorns. I found lots of thorns this weekend. Uh, my legs will tell the story. Um, <clears throat> following Jesus, a life that is lived following Jesus will be a life of suffering. That's the reality. Paul tells us this, and I can't help but remember his words in Philippians. He says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things. This is from Philippians 3, 8-11. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And being found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. One more passage. Jesus says this, Matthew 13, about the parable of the sower. Start in verse 20. As for what was sown on the rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on, the, on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Note how suffering and the cares of the world stop these seed from producing fruit. You don't want to be those seed that are growing up in the wrong kind of soil. soil. You want to be the seed that grows up in the good soil and you produce fruit. And I'm making the connection here with this concept of suffering that Paul has. This passage just comes to mind. Do you want to inherit what Christ has for you? You have to embrace all of Him. You have to follow Him. Where did He go? He went to the cross. Will you embrace the cross? Will you embrace suffering for Jesus? If you won't, He's not worthy. You, that's what you're saying. Jesus, you are not worthy. I won't follow after you. You're not giving me enough money. My friends, my family, my spouse, my job, all of these have parted from me. Life is tough. Forget you, Jesus. I'm going to go somewhere else. You look at the people who suffer. Our brothers and sisters. 
who've gone through it, who are still following Christ. And those who have finished the race, we can see the whole story. And you can see how beautiful, how worthy Christ is. People who have said, I did die with Christ, and I rose with Him. And this life, it's His. It's all His. And now He's given me His Spirit, and the Spirit leads me. I call the Father. I say, Abba, Father. I cry that by the Spirit. And by the Spirit, I put to death the deeds of the flesh, sin in my life. I choose to follow Him, to follow this life. You will suffer. We will suffer. What's the end? Great reward. We'll get into that next week, but we might as well read verse verse 18 as a teaser in anticipation for next week's message. So read that with me and then we'll close. For I consider that the, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. May we, brothers and sisters, believe God's Word, His provision for us by the Spirit. And may we believe that God is worth our suffering that what is actually better is to suffer now and to be glorified with Christ later. That's better than getting a little sliver of what this life has to offer and embracing suffering for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Jesus, thank You for coming to the cross on our behalf. You are good. You love us. You provided everything that we need to, that anyone needs to turn to you, to come to you, to know you. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves, to be justified in your sight. And of our own efforts, we cannot sanctify ourselves. You've given us your spirit to do, to do that. For all your children, we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. We cry, we are led by the Spirit. And we cry out to You by the Spirit. Abba, Father, Lord, help us to embrace the difficulty in this life knowing, Jesus, You are worth it. You are worth it. You paved the way. You went before us. We willingly want to follow after You. Lord, as we continue our journey in Romans 8, deeper into that, in this chapter, give us joy in knowing You and joy in following You. Help us to have the victory in this life, Lord, through your provision, through your help, through your deliverance, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.